Welcome to season two of the Coalition for Disabilities podcast. Season one was titling Queering Ability, and for this season, we are adopting the title Including Ability. I'm Sarah Shopper, and I'm currently serving as the research coordinator for the Coalition for Disability within ACPA Student Educators International. Today, I'll be talking about advocating and collaborating with others around disability with our special guest, Camila Williams, the director of the disability of the Office of Disability Services and Adjunct Faculty at Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois, and Adam Lawler, Interim Vice President of Educational Research and Innovation at Landmark College in Putney, Vermont. Let's get started. This season's episodes are all about the monograph published at the end of 2021, titled Creating Inclusivity While Providing Accommodations, a practical guide to champion individuals with disabilities on campus. You can find this publication for free at myacpa.org. I will also have it posted, uh, a link to it posted in the notes to this podcast. I've invited the two authors of chapter five to be our guests today. Chapter five speaks to strategies for advocating and collaborating with others around disability on college campuses, but I think you'll find the strategies are transferable to most organizational environments. Camila and Adam, welcome to the podcast. I'm so thankful you were able to join us for this conversation. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. As you both know, I've already shared with our listeners the topic of your chapter. I would like for you to share with our listeners a bit more about why you decided to contribute to this chapter. Camila, let's start with you. Sure, so um, as a higher education professional and a disability service professional, I know all too well the fight, the, um, I'm gonna say not deliberate ignorance, but the ignorance that human beings, I'm not gonna necessarily just say, as you said, Sarah, okay, within higher ed, but human beings have around the conversation of disability. And so it was an incredible opportunity that was presented before me. Thank you to you and Sarah. And I thought, okay, this is a time for me to raise my voice and share experiences, my expertise, along with the late and great Adam here. And that's why it was important to be a part, like I said, of this conversation, of this chapter. Since it's been published, I've probably shared it a few times with my deans and others on campus, because again, right, you you learn to combat ignorance through understanding. And so, as you guys know, the saying says disability rights are civil rights, and that's what that's about. So it was important to be a part of this project. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate that you highlighted um, that this chapter, I would say the whole monograph could be applicable outside of higher education. But for the sake of our podcast, we're going to keep it focused on higher education. But for our listeners, feel free to check it out or to share it with others. I would say every single organization I could think of could benefit from at least one chapter within it, if not all of them together. So exactly. um, I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. Adam, how about you? Uh, it's hard to follow up both of those, but <laughs> um, it's, you know, over the years, I mean, access has been sort of the domain of disability resources offices and ADA coordinators. And I mean, with this chapter, it really gave both uh, Camila and I the opportunity to talk about how it's a much broader issue, that it's really, accessibility is not I mean, just disability resource. It's really this responsibility of everyone on campus. Yes. 
Um, if we, yep, absolutely. If we don't work together to provide accessible, equitable, and inclusive environments, mm -hmm. we're lost from the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. So, what what this chapter provided us the opportunity to do is talk about how we can make a coordinated approach um, that really involves not only uh, faculty and staff, but also individuals with disabilities, if they're students, into this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, there needs to be a lot of training around it. And really what, what this allowed us to do is to say pretty clearly that disability services, disability resources can't do this alone. Mm -hmm. We've been trying for way too long, I mean, valiantly, to uh, I mean, make our campuses equitable, accessible, and inclusive. And I, I don't want to say that we failed because we've done great work. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been as pervasive and institutionalized as we would like. Mm -hmm. uh, and this chapter really became an opportunity for both Cam and I to say, okay, higher ed, got to wake up. We all have to be part uh, of this ballgame. Absolutely. So, um, Camila, you mentioned this a little bit um, when you answered that first question about why you decided to contribute to the chapter, but I'm still going to ask this question to both of you. Okay. And um, Adam, let's have you start this time. How did you learn about um, the Coalition for Disability monograph? So this monograph specifically? Yeah, I mean, to, to be completely honest, I, I, I mean, I've, I've been part of the coalition uh, I mean, for a long time, um, but I wasn't aware of the monograph a, a, until folks reached out to me. Um, I, I can't say how honored I was to even be thought of uh, for participating in this project. Um, and immediately I thought the idea was wonderful. Um, it, it really was a resource that I saw that, that needed to be written. Um, it needed to be provided to our profession uh, so that we can really, you know, as I was just saying, create that institutional change that is so desperately needed. Yes. So, uh, I mean, I, mean I, I really thank the folks who, have, I mean, both you, Sarah and Amy, mm -hmm. um, who, I mean, who invited me to part participate in this project. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And how about you, Camila? How did you hear about the monograph? So yes, the uh, wonderful Sarah, you know, when I received the email, actually, I'm going to shout out Erica Buckley too. We were having the conversation at a former institution and then you and I had emailed so much like Adam, I was aware of the coalition. Hello, beautiful. But then the monograph, it's power. It's power what you and Amy are doing. And it's power to bring all of these different voices together, um, like I said, expertise and just experiences to research and write. Out of this, I met an incredible friend, Adam. And it's a conversation I often tell, you know, my colleagues, I feel like with disability, right? The world of disability services and support and advocacy, we usually have to pull up a chair, right? To be invited to the table. But with this, we were automatically invited, right? We, we automatically had a seat at the table and that's why it is so important. Um, again, yes, for higher education, but in general, uh, disability is a fabrication within every aspect of society. And so, as I said at the beginning, we have to have these conversations. That's how you learn and you, you stop the ignorance and you become a, a further advocate and supporter, but also of the, the many intersectionalities. You know, you could be, a student with a disability, right? But then you add in color or gender or be an athlete. So that's why it's important. If we can talk about all those intersectionalities, then we definitely have to talk about disability as well. So 
that's how, and I'm grateful for you, Sarah, as I said before a million times for this opportunity, because it's power with, with, with every chapter, within every chapter. You know, just following up on what Camila said, uh, I mean, she used a phrase that, that I think really, I mean, summarizes this chapter well. It's that we need a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. So long, I mean, disability has been, I mean, frankly, I mean, one of the things listed in the string of diversity, race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, and, and disability is sometimes included within that. I mean, not sometimes. always. And it's, uh, I mean, but really, I mean, in a lot of our profession, that's where the disability conversation ended. Yes. We were, we were between those commas yep. and not explored further. And this is, I mean, we've done great work in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion on campus. <laughs> Still a long way to go, but we've sure. done some great work. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's now that really important that disability have a seat at that uh, DEI at table. table. Absolutely, and be considered just as valuable uh, in, in identity and experience as any other form of diversity. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And, and I think sort of the fact that it might be um, not at the table or not even spoken about um, is actually representative of sort of how it's been treated historically yes. Yes. in okay. our society. Mm. I mean, I know that when I was growing up and I'm probably dating myself by doing this, but um, if you had a disability, you were taken to another classroom. I can't even tell you what happened in that other classroom because I, at the time, didn't have any disabilities. Um, but it definitely created the message of difference, but also it created um, a lack of opportunities to ask questions and to get to know individuals with disabilities. And then suddenly, I don't quite remember when it was, again, dating myself, um, <laughs> when I started to have interactions with people who might've been taken into that other classroom. Um, and, and then there's just that awkward, I wanna make friends with people. So how do you ask a question about something that you don't wanna offend someone? Right. Um, and, and I agree, um, Adam, with what you just said, like there has been some work we've done with some um, marginalized identities within higher education. 100% there's a lot more work that needs to happen. Yes. But I think that this really raises the question of, well, what are we doing with disability? Right. Because what does it look like to try to work on all of them at the same time? Because there might actually be some cross um, ways, intersectional ways, um, Camila, like what you were saying, yes. where just by doing something for a person um, that is disabled, mm -hmm. it opens up access for other groups of folks um, yeah. or vice versa, you know? Right. Um, so thank you for bringing those points up for sure. Absolutely. Um, both of you have had um, lots of experiences um, within higher education and then outside of higher education. Um, I'm curious to know a little bit more about the experiences you've had specifically with your chapter's topic. So Camila, let's have you share first. Absolutely. Well, like I shared um, today, later on, having a training or, or well, we'll call it the safety, they like to call it a faculty development on just the conversation around accommodations, right? Uh, to your point, Sarah, it's 2022 because yes, that means at my location, 
there are students that aren't receiving them. You know, to me, it's it's to everything we just said. So the experience just today, this is why this chapter is so important. Now, it was wonderful that my higher ups came to me and said, hey, you know, you do a great job every, you know, month and semester. I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm going to keep it out there in my beautiful office. But to say, hey, we would like that, then that's good. It's, it's to your point, Sarah, that that's showing, okay, in 2022, the, the needle is moving, right? Where, wow, they're now inviting us to, to, to the table. And so just today, um, that experience, that's why I will be completing a training later on, uh, just the conversation about reasonable uh, accommodations in the hope that after each individual, whoever shows, whether it's five to 100 people, they leave, it's exactly what we're doing. They put it into context. Wow, I didn't think about that, right? These many students in the intersectionality, right, of their identities, Okay, well, that athlete, he has that. Okay, that makes sense why he would probably, you know, need that accommodation. So literally a person close enough today, Sarah, right? That experiences today with that training. And so that's how literally the chapter is alive for me and well just today here in 2022 on a, a Thursday. That's wonderful. And I know that that is a good um, example for others out there who might be wishing their institution would move the needle a little bit further so that they get invited in. How about you, Adam? Um, what is your experience with your chapter's topic? Yeah, it's, you know, it's my experience with, with this topic really uh, stems in part from, I mean, my own experiences working in student affairs. Um, it's, I mean, I've, I've worked in a variety of different uh, functional areas. And one of the things I found out very quickly was that, I mean, folks really don't know much about disability. Um, and, but what the research says very clearly is that folks really do want to learn. Um, it, it becomes something where many people are aware that we're not doing enough uh, right. to serve students with disabilities, but it's a hard conversation for many to have. And it's very hard to, to frankly, uh, I mean, acknowledge that you have a degree of ignorance. Um, not, I mean, not maliciously, right, I mean, sure, not, right. but you don't even know where to start the conversation. Right. And uh, I mean, one of the, my, uh, my dissertation uh, work was, was all about identifying, well, what are the things that student affairs professionals just really need to know? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, trying to put it out there to f provide folks an opportunity to say, well, I don't know this, I mean, I, this is at least something that is written out that I should know more about. Um, and the way you do that really is through advocating and collaborating with other units mm -hmm. to provide that education. Um, disability resources, as well as, uh, I mean, the emerging uh, disability cultural centers that right. many, mm. many colleges are starting to bring forward really are changing the game a little bit. Um, they are, there's a, I mean, disability resources offices, most of them are really moving beyond in providing solely uh, accommodations and providing that access mm -hmm. to really providing additional education and training and understanding uh, of this population. Cultural centers are really celebrating, uh, whether it's disability culture, deaf culture, neurodiversity culture, celebrating that publicly on, on college campuses to say, no, this is not something that we have to hide. You know, we, we may have been omitted from a, a lot of the, the textbooks and history, 
but we're here and we've accomplished a lot. We're proud. And I mean, we have a real place in our society that cannot uh, be overlooked anymore. And, and I run a, one of the centers here at, at Landmark. And I have to tell you, that was a real avenue for me to bring in folks from across campus. Right. I mean, alumni affairs, student affairs, faculty. Uh, as it should be, collaboration across do. campus, as it should be, exactly. Centers for diversity and inclusion. Uh, to really have some of what generally are very hard conversations for mm -hmm. us to have, not only in society, but even in the disability world. Mm -hmm. um, and talking about topics that, I mean, going beyond accommodations, talking about topics related to, you know, one that we're talking about next week. I mean, is there a hierarchy within disability? Mm -hmm. What implications does that have uh, mm -hmm. for our students, our faculty and staff, our society in general. Um, what are the laws that, I mean, maybe well-intended, but uh, I mean, have uh, unintentional consequences for folks with disabilities. You think about uh, I mean, Pell Grants, something that's amazing, uh, that has opened up doors for so many. But we know many people with disabilities, many students require, uh, I mean, uh, lower course loads or may need some additional time to complete degrees. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I mean, because of the way the laws are established, uh, I mean, they, they may not have access to uh, financial resources in the form of federal aid. Right. So, I mean, that was never the, that was never something that was conceived of as a means of uh, limiting opportunities or discriminating. It was, it was done for really well-intended reasons. Unfortunately, exactly. We haven't always thought through some of the more uh, nuanced aspects uh, related to disability. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. And and I um, I really appreciate um, you also bringing up that um, as a student affairs professional, not really getting um, educated in the topic of disability. I mean, there might be now um, because of some more recent, I'd say, past. 20 years um, publications, there might be a day spent on disability in a preparation program. And um, not even necessarily because I think anyone is maliciously not wanting to spend more. I think what you said, Adam, is very true. People want to know. Mm -hmm. But if there's no um, accessible resource to help educate, which is the hope of this monograph, I don't think it's the end all be all of um, you know, what could, could be out there. Right. I do think it's a place to start Absolutely. to learn about it. And my hope would be that people find it um, something easy to read. Um, you know, the chapters are all a certain length and then they are, there's resources at the end of them. And I know that um, Amy French and I both um, selected ACPA and the coalition to work with because ACPA does believe in providing resources for free at no cost. And so we wanted it if it was going to be out there, especially thinking about anyone in graduate school mm -hmm. um, needing to download it is, is a lot simpler than going out and buying, you know, a thick book um, that costs a lot more money. Hopefully it's a lot more accessible to folks. And ACPA has been really great if anybody 
um, finds that they have someone on their campus who their screen reader is not able to read the version they have online. Um, they've provided us um, with a person who can help fit it. And a lot of that actually has to do with just technology updating itself or not, depending on what you can afford as a person with a disability and needing it saved as a different type of file. And so I just am putting that out there for our listeners in case you've run across that yourselves. Um, but I'm really, I'm really glad, Adam, that you brought that up in terms of um, feeling like this is an area of interest, but not maybe knowing how to go about and get that. And sometimes what it takes is just being able to read a little bit about it and then knowing how to ask a question because you feel a little bit more informed. I can only imagine for faculty with the fact that it is higher education, um, there being even more of a firm brick wall to being comfortable owning that maybe they don't know everything. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's probably part of the reason why it's so they're so often so quick to just point to, well, here's where you go to get an accommodation, but it doesn't really solve the problem for what happens if a faculty or staff member has a disability. Um, because often at institutions, the faculty or staff member sometimes can't go to the disability resource office. That's not the appropriate place for them right. to go. And, um, and so it certainly raises questions there um, at a minimum, but often I think faculty don't realize that they themselves become the entity that someone has disclosed to mm -hmm. just by asking. And the response of just pointing to like, say one of you two um, is not necessarily the best to providing an accommodation because you're one person on your campus. Mm -hmm. And there's only so much time you have in the world. <laughs> and well, and think about this, Sarah. So this is why I say it's, it's, it's very interesting. It is, it's lack of ignorance when we have an athlete, right? That, you know, we're a professor of that class and that athlete's going through something nine times out of 10, that professor is going to do what? Be able to help them in a system and not point them to athletics. So this is what I mean. That conversation, right? Pulling up, right? That seat to the table, it should be the same, that intersectionality. What I feel, and I'm just going to add to this in hearing Adam and you, I'm, I'm going to take it further because again, I feel like we pick and choose, right? So yes, I know he said it's a student affairs, but again, with what I just said, when it comes to race though, or gender, we can, and we don't yep. know a lot, but we're still quicker. To me, it goes back to, to the horrible historical stigmatization, right? The evil behind a disability, right? People sometime, um, I was on a, a panel about a month ago. And it was about, you know, women of color, right? And how black women in particular, that it's called post-traumatic trauma from slavery. Absolutely. And people don't think about that, right? Now you, you think about that in the context of disability. This is why when it comes, right? To that same scenario, faculty, I don't know, go see Dr. Layla, go see Camila. Mm -hmm. But if I'm an athlete or I'm woman, oh my gosh, yeah, come and let me talk to you for a moment. Right? It's, it's generational. So more of that needs to be done. So for example, like I said, the experiences of today, to me, I, I agree, that's great, Sarah and Adam, you think it's great having a conversation, but really in 2022 about accommodations, it should have already been, you know what I mean? And yes, mm -hmm. I'm going to use that platform tonight. But again, really, if this were in the region of higher ed and we're highly educated, researching individuals, then it's been out there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And that's all I'm going to say. It's been out there for you too. And it's kind of shout out to Jane Gerald from ahead when she says that, stop looking at just my office. There's enough of that resource. There's enough of that yes. out there. This is my point that you can do that. And that's kind of my conversation tonight. 
yes, we're going to have, we'll talk about reasonable, it's all per the ADA, right? And all those great. But if you can research, right, to the extent that you do, right? Higher ed is about scholarly, right? Individuals, then you can take that time to yeah. research, right? Pick up the whole entire ACPA, make sure you read chapter five. You can do that. And then find later, like you said, it starts those hard conversations. Come find me and have that conversation. But I'm sorry, you're not going to get off easy. And I know a lot of your listeners are going to agree to that when everyone else in their intersectionality is you. Oh, absolutely. But then this, no, that's their problem. I didn't know. Well, yeah. open your heart to know, open your heart to learn, be a voice. That's how allies come about. And so I'm sorry, I just had to add that in and listening to you oh. both. I feel like there's no excuse but to make an excuse. Absolutely. I agree. I think that absolutely it's just a way of rationalizing it so you don't have to do anything, which is not, should not be acceptable. And I think 2022, come on. 2022. What we're all saying is it's not acceptable. And so you all choosing to contribute to this chapter, but the monograph as a whole, all of us who contribute to it are saying, we don't think it's acceptable anymore. Here, we're going to hand you some starting place. Yes. Take advantage of it. Um, that actually makes me think of, and for our listeners, if they want to um, spend some time not reading the whole monograph, but want to kind of be pointed to some links from this conversation, check out chapter three in particular, where um, the two authors really talk about how they make an argument that higher education is making a choice, an intentional choice to not include disability. And um, they really do a nice job of sort of helping you to see how that's happening. Um, All the other chapters are absolutely fabulous as well. So I'm certainly listeners gonna encourage you to read them, but that popped in my head when you were talking about that. And please don't apologize for adding that on. I think it is important. And I love the example of the athlete that you shared because whether or not it's an athlete, I think that folks can envision, well, who is it that I'm comfortable saying, come back to my office and let's chat, or I'll take a couple minutes now to talk to you but instantly, and it could be disability, it could be also some other identities. Um, What are those identities and why is that happening? Um, But today for our conversation, we're focusing on disability. disability. So, and it is a quick response we've all learned to just kind of point in the direction of, here's the DRC, here's where it's located, Um, go there and they'll help you out and I'll wait to hear from them. Mm -hmm. When it might not even be necessary, it could have just been a quick, two second conversation and and the issue or whatever it is um, gets taken care of. And it also just leaves everything at accommodation. Exactly. Um, I know I do have some further questions for you all. So let's get back to those. So how has it been beneficial for you to participate in this experience? Adam, let's start with you for this one. You know, I mean, I mean, I've written, I mean, a number of different pieces over the years and I mean, I really enjoyed this one. in particular because it allowed me to connect further with the coalition. Um, it allowed me to co- connect further with ACPA, which I mean, are my professional roots. Um, I am I am now and for will ever be a student affairs guy. Um, it's, I mean, that's really what put me on this uh, I mean, disability track to begin with, those uh, ideas about truth, justice, respect, hard work are all the things that, I mean, ACPA uh, and student affairs taught me. Um, so that, that was really a nice piece. Um, but but I mean, with that said, I mean, I, I have to 
say that, I mean, it also allowed me to give back. Um, I mean, over the, I mean, certainly, I mean, I had my start in student affairs uh, and I, I grew from that time. I grew tremendously and it, it pointed me in the direction of this work, which now I've, I have have some degree of knowledge in, and, and I'm able to really give back to the organization and the people um, who really set me on this path. Um, so that, that was a really uh, been amazing part. And, and frankly, a bit, a bit, I hope this goes without saying that a bit coming into this, I didn't know Cam. Yeah, I mean, and we've had the opportunity to, I mean, really become friends mm -hmm. as well as colleagues. Uh, and See, he just took mine, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's part of it. You can make it part of it. That simple. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it really has been uh, a personal pleasure mm -hmm. to watch uh, Camila really grow into a scholar and researcher in this area. I mean, she's she is the definition of, of a scholar practitioner, mm -hmm. um, and it's I mean, it really I mean, since since meeting her. Um, she's gone on to do some some pretty amaz amazing things within uh, the disability and higher ed fields. And I said once before, uh, and I told her this, I mean, flat out that she is um, one of the true emerging leaders um, in this field, which is, I mean, frankly, I mean, uh, a field where we're seeing more and more retirements of the civil rights leaders who, who founded it. Um, so we need the next generation like like uh, Camila to really fill the suit. And an Adam. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I still have a ways to go before I retire. Um, but I mean, certainly, uh, I mean, Cam has, has already set off on an amazing uh, journey and I'm excited to go along with her on it for the next several decades. I'll pay you later, Adam. Thanks. Camila, <laughs> <laughs> how about you? How has it been beneficial for you to participate? Well, so everything, I'm going to start there. Um, again, the excitement, the platform, um, it's been incredible, as Adam just said, to go deeper um, in research and my expertise and writing and then to learn and know him. It was like, wow, just for that to collaborate like it did. But then I'm also going to say it's been beneficial in that, again, it continues to allow me to be an advocate, right? Be a light, be a voice, not just for, as we shared, Sarah, those in the disabled community, but in general, because mm -hmm. this is important. This chapter five is an important conversation. It's important information to learn and how, like I said, intersectionally period. Okay. Not just a person or student with a disability, but like we said, the many other identities how do I, you know, learn? How do I collaborate? How do I support? So in that way, every every chance that I get, as I shared, uh, once it was published, it went to my deans, you know, and they're, they're like, wow. And, and I didn't say, yeah, just read chapter five, as you said, Sarah, the entire, like you said, this is access now. So in that way, as I continue, but then lastly, as he said, yeah, an incredible friendship, like Adam, amazing. Okay. And it was like, wow. And him pushing me and like, even before you guys are many edits together and he, Cam, no, go deeper. He's kind of like that now in my dissertation, go deeper, Cam. You know, it, it, it was that we were able, like you said, we, we worked well, how do they say you play off each other? And it was incredible. And we came up, you know, with this beautiful chapter five and we hope all the listeners, and like you said, new listeners can learn 
So that's how in the many ways that it's been very beneficial for this. And I'm thankful. I'm great. I'm grateful. Wonderful. Well, and I just want to kind of share with both of you and then with our listeners that we, um, Dr. Amy French and I were very intentional with how we went about um, requesting and reaching out to folks to be able to be contributors. So we use the ACPA's um, strategic imperative for racial justice and decolonization. Okay. And then we also absolutely wanted more than one author on each of the chapters. And so, um, and then to make it even more complicated, this was my job. This is what the part that I was in charge of. Making sure we also had people who represented a variety of types of institutions and um, a variety of length of time in the field. Um, just a whole host of um, as much difference as possible in order to be able to maybe, um, Adam, what you shared is that there are retirements from, from of those we might consider to be sort of the, the folks who are foundational in advocating for disability to be included historically within student affairs, higher education. And um, we reached out to them and they um, very lovingly, gently guided us towards some folks. And then um, we sort of um, reached out to them and thought through also our own connections um, as well as the coalition to see where we could kind of land. And so if, if, yeah, if people really look at who the authors are, um, I think that they will see all, my hope is, is that everyone feels like, hey, that could be me mm-hmm. when they look at who all the authors are, as opposed to maybe feeling like, oh, well, you have to be committed to doing this at this level if you're ever going to have a voice at the table related to disability. Um, so I just kind of wanted to put that out there so that our listeners would know about that, um, some of the behind the scenes. Now, um, both of you have alluded to a little bit about the chapter, and I'm actually going to jump ahead so our listeners can know. And if you've listened to other um, episodes of the podcast, which I encourage you to listen to all of them, you're going to know I have a formula to how I've been doing these. But I'm going to skip around in this one for just a moment um, because of the references to the chapter. And I'm going to ask for our authors, if they wouldn't mind, um, to, I've asked each of them to identify a passage from their chapter that they want to highlight. And I'm gonna ask them to read their chapter passage and um, share with us a little bit about why they chose to highlight it. Adam is gonna get us started off with his response and the passage he selected is on page 40 and it is the first full paragraph on that page. So Adam, if you'll take it away, if you'll read it and then share with us a little bit about why you wanted to highlight that. Absolutely. Um, So the paragraph goes, uh, collaboration across campus is a great concept, but often hard to do. That was from Brown 2008. For the sake of A, better serving students with disabilities like Juan, who is the subject of our case study, and B, increasing one's understanding of disability, it it is vital that collaboration happens across campus. Much like including disability in the conversation, When departments on campus choose to collaborate with recognized disability allies, those with disabilities and or uh, disability resource center staff, accessibility becomes a focus. From general networking uh, and increased opportunities for resource sharing to looking at alternative perspectives and shared problem solving, collaboration has the potential to lead to mutual gains 
by normalizing the acknowledgement of wide ranging abilities existing and needing to be considered. Um, so that, that paragraph I, I selected because it identifies a couple of the concepts that I, I think been really resonated with both uh, Camila and I. The first is that collaboration oftentimes, I mean, it sounds really good, but it can be really difficult. Um, you are, I mean, there are very uh, different cultures on campus between I mean, faculty and staff and even within faculty and staff. Yes. Um, and I mean, it's, it's difficult and, and it, frankly, it can be stressful, <laughs> but if you, if, when it works, it is so powerful. Um, and ultimately, I mean, I think it's important that we take on these really challenging tasks to really serve our students. Um, and in this case, our students with disabilities. But it also allows through these collaborations us to, us that do know more about disability, to work with other folks on campus and, and really bring them to the table of disability. Um, it, it allows us to share with them as colleagues, not necessarily, I mean, being instructors and instructing to them in a, in a very, in a more dogmatic, explicit way, but really teaching them not only about the topics, but about the culture um, that, we, that we really uh, believe so strongly in. Um, certainly, I mean, as I've said before, I mean, disability resource staff are oftentimes uh, a bit an island unto themselves sure. um, for, 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 frankly, for better or worse. Um, but the, the interaction with other folks on campus really is needed if we want to change the culture. Um, I mean, I, I think most disability resource folks would say, you know, I, I would one day love to have to, to not have a job. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I, mean, I would love to be rendered obsolete. Mm -hmm. at a college because it, it, everything's accessible, everything, everyone's included, um, I mean, everyone's treated with equity, and then, you know what, I can go out to a beach somewhere and drink a Mai Tai. Um, but that's, uh, that's unfortunately, uh, I mean, if nothing else, uh, a long way off. Um, so really, how can we work with other people to make and I, and I know sometimes we want things to change overnight. We want to snap our fingers, wave a magic wand and, and have things change. But as we know from the disability rights movement, it's been going on a long time. Mm -hmm. and, and that magic wand, unfortunately, doesn't exist. So what are the incremental steps that we can take by working with others to make, I mean, every day, what's one more step that we can take to improve uh, life for people with disabilities? Every week, what's one more thing we can do we have to sort of take that plus one approach and move there. And the more people we can get on board, the more people we can say, I mean, you know, for many years, we haven't been accepted as part of the, of the general community, but you know, we're gonna accept you in ours mm -hmm. um, and bring them with us. It's, uh, that's how we're gonna change things. And, and I'm excited to, really continue this journey of trying to make those incremental changes like, like folks like both of you. Um, there's, there's real opportunities here. I'm seeing this change in the way that our society, particularly within education, is viewing social justice. 
and disability justice. And it really does give me hope. Um, together, we can get there. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate you highlighting that and mentioning that collaboration is very hard because I think that it is. And I also will just point out that I think collaboration could be one of those things that we use as an excuse to not do anything. Um, but I certainly hear what you're saying is that it's worth it. And um, I am someone who has disabilities and both um, visible and invisible disabilities, but I haven't always lived my life this way. And I can't help but reflect back onto Sarah pre having any disabilities, so fully able-bodied. Um, what if I had just been like the sticking point in the wheel to know this video we're gonna show, we have to turn on closed captioning. Um, when I was at the planning meeting for something, because I kind of grew up in student activities, so that it didn't have to be that someone had to disclose and ask for it, or that it waited until someone from the Disability Resource Center was at the meeting. Um, it just happened, and it started to happen. I often think about that now because of everything we've gone through with the pandemic. Yeah. So our listeners can know um, this is being recorded via Zoom, and um, you know, I wonder why Zoom hasn't set the default to closed caption is on all the time. Why do we have to normalize not having it on? Um, why don't we have people disclose who, I don't know, don't want it on um, because it just bothers them. Um, because bothering is very different than a need in order to be able to participate. Um, so I appreciate you raising collaboration and um, think that that folks can think about one little step they could do. I mean, I might be frustrating to the people in that committee meeting if I had spoken up and said, no, we're going to have closed captioning on because we would have had to learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. But OK, so I'm a you know, I'm the person who's kind of holding us up a little bit. Um, and then the next time, what's what could we do the next time? Um, to start to normalize things and to actually change the culture um, systemically and sustainably. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I mean, there's a really famous quote, and, and to be perfectly honest, I, I can't remember who it's by. It's okay. Um, and it, I mean, it's well-behaved women rarely make history. And <laughs> sure. It, I mean, I mean it, the same thing could be said for- uh, I have that shirt, got it from the National Civil Rights Museum. Thank you, nice. <laughs> last week. <laughs> but the same thing goes for uh, people with disabilities. Um, mm -hmm. it's, uh, and, being, and I'm not saying that has to do with being well-behaved. I think that, that well-behaved people uh, the portion could be changed for, to uh, people that don't advocate. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, that's, and I mean, really that, that's something that for many years, I mean, frankly, our voice was taken away from us. Mm -hmm. We weren't allowed to speak. We were intentionally, I mean, not only marginalized, but in some cases, I mean, frankly, locked away. Yeah. Um, and our voices were, were quite literally taken out of, uh, of society. And uh, I mean, through that time, it's, I mean, the, uh, the self-advocacy movement, the self-determination movement, disability rights have allowed us to really take back our voices and say, I mean, no, I mean, access is not something that's negotiable. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, access needs to be provided. Um, and so we're really changing 
the way we have historically operated. And oftentimes that's the, I mean, it's the law of inertia. I mean, things at rest tend to want to stay at rest. And that goes for, I mean, accessibility. I mean, inaccessibility, I mean, I mean, to make things accessible, you need to do something. You need to change behavior. You need to work. Um, and that doesn't happen in, until voices are raised, whether it's people like us with disabilities or, I mean, our allies. Yep. Hopefully it gets to that point where, um, I mean, I always say that it's important for uh, folks with disabilities to have an opportunity at that place at the table. But mm -hmm. I'm hoping at, at some point we also get to the point where, you know, it, it doesn't have to even be discussed because it's just force of habit that we're making things accessible. And if we're not there, there are other people who, who are bringing up the issue of accessibility um, to really serve society at large. So. Yeah, which is what your chapter um, is is introducing us to and talking to us about. So um, thank you for sharing that. Camila, how about your passage? I know it starts on page 39 and it's the first full paragraph on that page. So it's just on the page before Adams. If you wanna read it and then share with us why you selected it to highlight, that'd be great. Sure. Make sure you guys can hear me, okay? Individuals with disabilities like Juan, again, that was our case study, have the right to utilize the entirety of a college campus. These individuals reside in residence halls, take classes offered by various departments, and have access to scholarships, grants, financial aid, dining services, recreational facilities, and academic support like every other student at the institution. Likewise, educators with disabilities have the right to utilize the campus to successfully fulfill their employment responsibilities. Campus committees are often established that focus on bettering institutional experiences for the members of the campus community. Often these communities have members from all facets of a campus, student life, academic affairs, multicultural services, to name a few. Having a learning specialist, DRC director, or a recognized disability ally or advocate on a committee strengthens collaboration and bonds across the campus and assists in making sure accessibility for all is considered. Establishing such collaborative relationships moves the responsibility to include the topic of disability away from the only DRC staff, which we talked about, to all students and educators. Involving a recognized disability advocate shows solidarity and support for an accessible and inclusive campus. And that right there kind of answers and sums that up, Sarah. So to each of your points, Adams and yours, if we are in 2022, we are in America, we are in a society that says all are created equally and it's fair, then inclusivity. This is why I wanted to read this chapter. Inclusivity, but then also education is what you're getting from this chapter that, hey, if I'm on this committee and I'm saying I represent everybody in the community at whatever institution, then guess what? That individual from this office of expertise and this office of expertise should be, should have that seat at the table. But then also I wanna say this to your guys' other point and why I love this. Without disruption, a system does not change. And that was something that my late mother told me all the time, mm -hmm. because there'd be many nights I was exhausted, right? In my fight in allyship and I'm crying and I'm sharing with her and I would share it Adam, but of course, nothing like a mother. And she would say that. And so at first I didn't get it, but then I started thinking about that. Mm -hmm. She was talking to me without the disruption of my ancestors, right? As a descendant of a slave, 
then the system wouldn't have changed. Without the disruption of black and brown people starting the civil rights, you wouldn't have had the disability civil rights. So in order for a system to change, you need that disruption. So from my passage, you're seeing the disruption of everyone being included. So instead of us just saying on paper, it's inclusivity, it's actually there. Instead of us just saying access, it's actually there. So, hey, guess what? Persons with disabilities like to eat food. So guess what, student <laughs> affairs, Dr. Layla, yes. next time you're having that wonderful event, why aren't we there? Guess what? Cam's gonna invite individuals. That is the point and the power within this passage that I wanted to read. The wands are intersectional across all campuses, across all societies. So, hey, if we're all a part of these, right? responsibilities and committees, it takes it away from just DRC and puts it on the society as a whole. Because again, right, we as a society disrupt systems. So that is the point of my passage mm -hmm. and why I wanted to read that. Yes, I appreciate that. And I love the quote from your mother. So your late mother, thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. So um, I think it, it's a good time for us to get to know our authors a little bit better. Um, and I've asked each of them if they would share with us a little bit about their educational background and three words that they um, would share with us used to describe themselves. So um, let's get it going with um, Camila. How about you? Get us going. Sure. So um, uh, what do you want me to start with first, Sarah? The let's do educational background. Yeah, sure. Um, I am currently pursuing my doctorate of education in higher education administration um, and my research, my dissertation actually looked at determining the role academic strategies play on the first year college experience for black males with ADHD. Mm -hmm. um, I have an MBA and a master's in higher ed from the University of Arizona Global. My undergrad was at St. Ambrose University and it was a bachelor's in history with minors in African-American and communication studies. Three words, um, if you haven't, mm -hmm. if you can't tell, driven, mm -hmm. passionate, truthful. Those Wonderful. would be words that describe me. Absolutely, and I can attest to that. So, and I'm grateful for it. Absolutely. Um, how about you, Adam? Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm currently serving as uh, the. I have so many titles right now. Uh, interim Vice President of Research and Innovation, uh, Director of the Landmark College Institute for Research and Training, and Co-Director of the Center for Neurodiversity at Landmark College. Believe me, it says too much at the bottom of my signature line right now. <laughs> that is quite a bit. Yeah, it's a mouthful. Um, but really, I mean, uh, my in terms of my educational background, uh, I mean, I did my undergraduate degree at Hamilton College uh, in New York, where I focused in psychology. Uh, went on to uh, get my master's uh, from the College of William and Mary in Virginia in higher education administration. Um, and then I took a couple of years off and, and I mean, worked in student affairs uh, in a variety of different areas from uh, residential life to uh, academic support, to admissions, to athletics, uh, I mean, I sort of bounced around disability services, of course. Um, and then I decided that, you know, higher education knows very little about disability. Um, so I ended up going to the University of Connecticut where they have really uh, in the country's only uh, doctoral program that has an emphasis in post-secondary disability services. Um, so I, I did, did my work, uh, my doctoral work there, um, taught in a student affairs preparation program, 
completed my dissertation on uh, competencies for uh, disability related competencies for student affairs generalists. Um, and then uh, came to your landmark and sort of worked through a variety of different roles. And now I do research, teaching, uh, training, uh, we're starting up a brand new uh, disability services specialization uh, in our certificate program. Uh, so I'm excited about really working with the next generation of disability uh, and social justice uh, advocates. And I have to say, I mean, it, Disability, I mean, it certainly is my area of research, mm -hmm. but I also identify as uh, a person with a disability or a neurodivergent person, uh, and my two children and my wife are as well. Uh, uh, so it's, it's, I mean, certainly my professional life, but it's also my personal life. Thank you for sharing that. How about the three words? Three words. Um, <laughs> And hopefully Cam can back me up on these. Um, pragmatic, uh, that's, that's certainly probably the first one. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm hoping that other people will say I'm both thoughtful and kind. I agree. Okay. At the I end of the day, Camila, you have to wait I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, if that's it, you know, if I'm, all, if I'm thought of as being thoughtful and kind, it's been a good, it's, it's been a good life. Wonderful. <laughs> Um, so one more question for each of you, um, and Adam, I'll have you start it off. Yep. If um, you could wish anyone to know the information in your chapter, who would it be and why? Who would it be and why? Um, I've, I've sort of given up on some politicians. Um, it's, Fair <laughs> but, enough. But, you know, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm still trying. Um, there are a couple of good ones out there, I'm sure. Um, but really the people that I, that I wish um, would know about this collaboration piece. Um, honestly, it would it would be students. Um, it's and, and yeah, I mean, it would be very easy for me to I mean say I mean professionals, but and frankly, students need to know that there are people out there that do want to collaborate to support them. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, particularly being a person with a disability on a college campus, particularly if you have. A, uh, a disability that, that's less visible, mm -hmm. um, you can feel alone. Um, you can feel very alone. Um, and just knowing, even, even if it, someone chooses not to disclose for services, even, I mean, or doesn't want to incorporate it into part of uh, necessarily their identity, knowing that there are people out there that are, I mean, fighting the good fight uh, and collaborating in order to uh, be in, really improve life um, for people like you, um, it makes a difference. It gives you hope. Um, it, it gives you a sense of, even if you're not engaging with it, a sense of community out there. So, I mean, that's that's really the, the, the folks that I would love to, I mean, just know, I mean, whether it's our, I mean, whether it's this particular chapter, the entire monograph, or, or just the people that are out there, I mean, that, that would be, that's a win uh, in my book. Fair enough. Camila, how about you? Um, so for this chapter and the entire monograph. Every... I like how you've morphed. The both of you have morphed and broadened the question to be That's a whole right. monograph. Um, <laughs> honestly, every member of society. Hmm. And the reason being, we all need to learn. We all need to learn, like I said, the importance, the to be unashamed. Um, there's nothing wrong with having a disability or disability. So again, as I said, 
the more we learn and the more we know, the less ignorant we are, right, across the board. So I would love for every member of society to read not just this chapter, but this ACPA, as we say, to be inspired, to learn, to do better. Mm-hmm. That's who. Absolutely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and abs- we could go on about doing another podcast episode on the power of hope or the um, incorporation or the the what it's like to live with shame as a person with a disability and, and why, Camila, you just shared. Mm-hmm. If, it's important to provide space that doesn't have shame in it um, and all of that stuff. But we don't have time for that for this episode. So we'll have to save that for another time. Absolutely. So that brings us to the end of this episode. I want to thank Camila and Adam for joining me today thank to discuss you. advocating and collaborating on campus for individuals with disabilities. If you haven't had a chance to read their chapter in the monograph, Creating Inclusivity While Providing Accommodations, a practical guide to champion individuals with disabilities on campus, I encourage you to do so. This publication is available for free and can be found at myacpa.org. A link to the publication will be added to the notes of this podcast. I hope our discussion today was beneficial to you, our listener. As always, thank you for listening to season two, including ability of the Coalition for Disabilities Talking Disability podcast. Um, Adam, Camila, is there any last things you want to say to our listeners? Thank you so much. And I have to go. Yes. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. Yes. See you guys thank later. you so much. Um, so this podcast was created by the Coalition for Disability, ACPA College Student Educators International. It was produced, recorded, and edited by Sarah Shopper, including Disability is season two of the Talk and Disability podcast for the Coalition for Disability. And thank you very much to both our authors. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today, listeners. Thank you, Sarah.